Well, our fourth week in our series, Revelation, Volume 4, The Return of Christ. If you're just joining us, this is the fourth time we have gone through uh, Revelation this time of year. Each, each time we've gone through verse by verse, uh, seven, eight weeks uh, at a time, we've gone through this. And uh, so I, if you are just joining us, you can go back and listen to previous ones. I encourage you to at least go back and listen to those ones just right before this, in this series this year, Volume 4. In 1 John chapter 2, we are given an important admonishment and how we are to live our lives. Uh, verse 15 says this. John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world, for if, or if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world that the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. It's that last line that we're going to be talking about today in chapter 18, Revelation. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. That's a big claim, right? That's a big claim that we have eternal life now. As Christians, we believe that we have eternal life through Christ Jesus, His death and resurrection. Amen? Amen. But what this is talking about is that the world and our spiritual enemy, Satan, claims that there are two things that can bring you happiness. You know these. One is the religion of self that just simply says, you're the middle of the universe. You are the most important you there is. And everything revolves around you. And it's just about making you happy. The second thing that the enemy wants you to believe is that you can buy happiness. If it's not stuff, it's money to have the stuff or the hope. It's just over the corner, uh, around the corner, that just over the hill that you can buy happiness, economic opportunity there. You can just have it if you have enough stuff. It's this volume of Revelation we've been studying in chapter 17 and now 18. God is stripping away those two claims from Satan and exposing these lies from him. Now, I know this will be a review for many of you, but I, I think... I've heard from several of you, doing kind of a review helps you kind of go, all right, where are we at in this whole Revelation thing? The seven years we have been talking about in the book of Revelation is called the Tribulation. And where we are at is near the end, specifically the last half called the Great Tribulation. When things get really bad. We believe this time begins with a sudden mass exodus of all the believers from the earth in one twinkling of an eye. We call that the rapture. Now, not all good Christians believe that idea. It's an open-handed picture. It's when Christ calls all the believers home in this twinkling of an eye. We believe that launches the seven years of tribulation. Now, I've pointed this out, but good Christians say, I think it's halfway through that. Some people believe it is at the end of that tribulation. Here's what we all agree on. Christ is returning. Amen? He's going to take us, the real believers, home. But 
What we're talking about here with this time of tribulation is that it is kicked off. It is literally launched with this uh, rapture. I mean, think about it. You got a couple of billion uh, leave the planet at once. This sudden economic and moral failure occurs. Wars, famine, ecological catastrophe, failure results from all true Christians disappearing. Meanwhile, there are plenty of Christians, possibly some of you that are left behind. You said all true Christians. I said, yeah, all true Christians. But listen to me. Some of you believe that you are a believer in Christ, but you're not. In other words, it's name only. You would be left behind. And and I say that with love. I do. Because you, you need to get right. It's during this time that there is a ruler that is about to come out and bring peace out of the, uh, the, all the craziness that's going on in that seven years. He brings this modicum of stability, if you will, to worldwide peace. The Bible calls this person the Antichrist. Now, the world won't call him that. He is called that because he's a bringer of peace, a Messiah-like character. He's loved. He's a charismatic ruler. He is able to unite the world's governments. This figure is loved by the people. This guy is joined by another very popular person, very charismatic person called the false prophet. The false prophet is able to unite all the world's religions back into one. We studied that over the last few weeks. This religious leader is able to bring everyone together. These two guys together are able to bring this worldwide economy that promises to take care of everyone. And although Christians have just been taken away from the earth, um, just before this, um, from, and just before this, during this seven years, all this stuff's going on, there is a massive revival, this movement of the Holy Spirit, where millions and millions turn their heart towards Christ. And that's led by evangelists. They're Jewish believers that turn their hearts to Christ. 144,000, you've heard that. They scatter out all over the world. Now, here's the thing. During that seven years, those Christians that come to faith are martyred in the millions by the false prophet and the antichrist and the government. It's a one world government, one religion government, all intertwined. But it's not long after this peace begins and stability begins that God begins to pour out a series of judgments on the earth at the beginning of the seven years that ravage the sections of the earth, ecological systems, earthquakes, floods, droughts, extreme cold, extreme heat, even physical darkness. It's darker uh, in this world. The Bible describes these judgments as seals that are broken by the Lamb. Uh, Another seven trumpets are blown. We looked at that a couple of years ago, uh, that God announces these judgments on the earth. But it's the last seven, and you get this seven, 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 you guys are awake, aren't you? These last seven are these bowls that are described poured out. Now, this is the picture from heaven that we're seeing. These bowls poured out by seven different angels. This is worldwide devastation that is going on on the earth. Now, remember, the book of Revelation can move chronologically year by year, even through events. But it's chapter 17 and 18 that move backward in time and tell us the same ground we've covered already, but does it with pictures. It does it with images, and these images help help you dive deep to say what's really going on. 
So get this. We are seeing both what's happening in heaven. We're seeing these weird images. And then we're seeing what's happening on earth. It's through these weird images that we get kind of a deeper picture. Now don't shy away from these images. Rather, through the use of scripture. That's why I'm saying bring your Bible and the Holy Spirit. We can unlock some of the deep things and see what's really happening here. Chapter 17 gave us a picture of the false prophet, the one world religion, how it seduced the people of the world and its kings to follow the Antichrist, also called the beast. The image of this one world religion was a prostitute, although dressed like a queen. She is described as riding on a beast. Do you remember that? The beast is the Antichrist. The, the prostitute is riding the beast. They're together. One world government with the one world religion all together. All the government's leaders, the armies follow them because they can bring about economic prosperity to all the people and peace. And for a while, they're able to do it. But as the seals are broken, the trumpets are blown and the bowls are poured out, things start to collapse. Chapter 17, if you'll remember, two weeks ago, ends with the Antichrist and the world leaders and the one world economic system starting to strip away the power and the wealth from this one world church simply to survive. They have to rob the church. They destroy it. The Antichrist destroys the one world religion. God's judgments and these seven bowls become real. It just becomes too much to bear, right? Too much to bear. It all starts to collapse. Fi uh, famine, destruction, ecological fallout. The one world religion is destroyed in chapter 17. is all about the judgment of God destroying the religion named Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Now that's a name, right? That's a big name. Remember what it's called. Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of all harlots and abominations of the earth. That's the one world religion and it's destroyed. Chapter 18 is about the final destruction of the Antichrist in the world's economic system and the governments. At this point, Christ has not returned in the second coming with all of you that are believers. But this is right before that and right before a massive battle called Armageddon. Today we will move quickly because we've got a lot of ton to cover, ground to cover. We've got a, uh, lots to cover. Let's ask God for his blessing. Would you bow your head with me? God, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We come to you in the name of your son, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach. God, we look to you as we open your words of the Bible. We ask that your Holy Spirit reveal what you want us to know. Change our hearts with the power of your words. It is in the great name of Jesus Christ. We all prayed and said, Amen. As we start, there's something everyone on the planet shares. Christian or not, and I, I get it. If you're not a Christian, thank you for being here. We're so glad you're here. Checking this thing out. Think about this. I think this is a reason to believe. Let me see if I can describe it. Let me say you buy a brand new car. You've been saving for this car. You love it. And you drive it to work on the first day. And man, the commute is awesome, even though 25 is horrible, right? Because you just love being in your car. You park it. You kind of park far out so no door dings. And you talk about it all day long. And you think about the smell of that car. And you come out 
and you get ready to get in that car and it's not there. You think, well, I parked it. Wait, I parked it here. It's gone. It's stolen. You call the police, you're upset, but it's not there. Let me give you another picture. You are brought into your boss's office early on a Friday. You think you know uh, what this is about. You found some accounting irregularities in the books. Uh, the boss asked you to look into some stuff, and you found some stuff. So you had told him just privately, I think someone's stealing from the company. And he says, I think so too. And the police come in, and they ask you to stand up as they handcuff you. And they take you off. You said, no, 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 I'm the one that found it. And he says, yeah, we've been watching you. And as you're being drugged off, he gives you a little wink. And you realize it's him. He's been stealing from the company. But you're going to jail for it. That thing with the car or with uh, being arrested, that thing that we all want can be summed up in one word. What is it? We want justice. We want justice. We've been wronged. When we have been wronged, we want justice. And when we don't get it, we are angry. We demand it. The desire for justice comes from our Creator God. It's at the core of who we are. It is one of the biggest reasons to believe that there is a God in the first place. Like if you're considering following God, as, uh, if you're considering following Jesus, this is written into your very DNA. This is not something that evolved. Every person on the planet wants justice, at least when it comes to something that's wrong. We want justice until we're the guilty ones, right? The gospel of Jesus says, God loved us and gave mercy to us through the death of His Son, Jesus, on the cross. Last week we looked at Romans in our Fifth Family Sunday that says God proves His love for us in that while we were guilty of sins and wrongs against Him, in other words, sin, He gave us His Son to take our place. We, we talk every week about that here. Unashamedly, we are a gospel-focused church. Amen? In other words, God could have had justice, but He offered mercy instead, and He paid for it because of love. And don't miss this, God still got justice, didn't He? Jesus just paid for it through the Son's death. But we got mercy. But what about those who are not covered by Christ's death? Those who reject the love of God through Jesus, that feeling when you get angry and you demand justice. I want justice. We want to put things right. God has that same want. He has the same feeling, although be it perfect. In fact, He demands it. It's what I want you to know. Write this down. God will deliver ultimate justice to those who are guilty. God will deliver ultimate justice to those who are guilty. Amen? That is what Revelation 17 and 18 are all about. God's perfect justice. And baby, it's about to get all ugly up in here. You, you know what I'm saying? Let's pick it up with verse 1, Revelation chapter 18. After this, I saw another angel with a great authority coming down from heaven, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. Remember, it's dark physically on the earth. The earth is illuminated by this angel. He called out in a mighty voice. It has... Does that sound like an angel? 
It has fallen. Babylon the Great has fallen. She has become a home for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, and a haunt for every unclean and despicable beast. Now remember, the world is physically dark uh, because of the tribulation at this late day. It's physically dark outside, but this angel is described as being very bright. Um, we don't know what the inhabitants of the world see. We're seeing it from our perspective. We're seeing it from heaven's perspective. We know it's an angel. Who knows what they see, but they see something. I don't think they understand. It's kind of like when Paul gets knocked off of his, onto his, you remember that when the bright light comes and, not, and they hear that uh, sound, that thunder? Now Paul hears one thing, but they don't hear anything but thunder. I think it might be like that. It has fallen. Babylon the Great has fallen. Meaning it is destroyed. But what is destroyed? Now this is where you could get confused. And people say, Paul, you could get confused? No, hang with me. This isn't hard. It really isn't. Babylon the Great is not the world religion we just studied. That was named Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, abominations of the earth. That was the religion. This is different. This image is different. It's still hearkening back to Babylon. Remember? Tower of Babel. All of that stuff. Here's what you need to know. The name Babylon, the great, represents three things. You want to know what it is? Three things. Here's the first thing. You ready? Babylon represents a city a city, a physical city. After the first Babylon, the empire had several times when it became great in history. And it was a massive city, the capital city of a massive empire. The prophet Daniel was one of the prophets that lived and served in one of those great times of Babylon. I didn't say it was good, I said it was great. In other words, massive is very powerful. Prophet Daniel lived and served several kings of Babylon, including Nebuchadnezzar. The city was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, a massive city. You've, if you've studied history much, you remember the hanging gardens of Babylon. Great buildings, massive walls, beautiful art. One of the uh, gates of that uh, were unearthed in the 19th century are in a museum in Berlin right now. Beautiful blue tile from that time. It was a great city, but eventually it would become a ruin. The city's ruins are southwest of Baghdad. I, I've talked to several of our guys that have fought over in Iraq, and they go, yeah, I, I went through. It's like, uh, it's a big place, just a big pile of dusty bricks now, though. This is a ton, there's a ton on Babylon in the Old Testament prophecy, and it always represents Satan's kingdom. Does that make sense? Let's check out uh, two scriptures in the Old Testament. Psalm 137, verse 8, Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is the one who pays you back what you have done to us. He's talking about God there, by the way. How about this one from the prophet Isaiah 21.9? Look, riders come, horsemen in pairs. And he answered saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, has fallen. All the images of her gods have been shattered on the ground. Does this sound like it comes right out of Revelation? Because it's talking about the same thing, isn't it? Now the city has a few people living in it now. 
A very few people, less than 100. The Babylon, the real one. But it's not a great city. It doesn't match what we're talking about here. Now, some people uh, would argue that Revelation was talking about what happened in the past when Babylon fell and the Medes and the Persians attacked it. Incredible story, I'll have to tell you sometime. But here's what I want you to understand. When prophets prophesy about something in the Old Testament, what happens is you know that they're prophets when what? When what they say comes true. Otherwise, you're a false prophet. And it's so 100% of the time, so they prophesy and then it happens. But what about this stuff? Now, all the stuff that we're talking about is it's prophesied, it happens in the short term, but then there's an always a long-term prophecy where it comes fulfilled. Does that make sense? Like all the prophecy about Jesus had a short-term uh, prophecy coming that he would be born in Bethlehem, like in the, uh, by the prophet Joel. But then there is the long-term part of that as well. Now, in other words, yes, old Babylon fell and it is in ruins, but God is using the picture or the concept of Babylon as a real city, a real empire uh, in the future. Uh, now, could it be Babylon? Could it be called Babylon? I suppose so. Um, but I don't know and I don't think it's worth much trying to guess what the real name would be. Like what we would call it. Could it be another city that already exists on the planet? Say a London, Moscow, maybe a New York. Or could it be a city that the Antichrist builds out of the desert? Personally, I think that's probably the case. Um, but that's just a guess. That's just like Paul going, um, I, I don't know, right? The point is that the, there is a capital city where the Antichrist rules from. And the angel is saying the city is destroyed. And that brings up the second thing. Babylon represents the power of the Antichrist. So it's a city, but it also represents the power of the Antichrist. His seat of power. Think, it like, think of it like this. You know when the news reporters say, hey, London says blah, 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 or Washington says blah, 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 right? It's not the city saying those things, right? It's not even the city council of those cities saying that. What is it saying? It's saying the ruler of that nation from that capital city is saying this. That's what it's talking about. They don't mean that the city made a statement. The power of the Antichrist is huge. It, it's a worldwide thing. Look at verse 3. For all the nations have drunk the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. The kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her. And the merchants of the earth have grown wealthy from her sensuality and excess. Now I want you to uh, watch. The kings are the political rulers, right? We've established that. And the merchants of the earth are the merchants of the earth. They are the ones that make money off of trade. This gives us a big clue to how the Antichrist is unable to amass such power. Write this down. Babylon also represents an economic system. And you could put worldwide on that. It won't be a socialist system. Why? Because socialism, quite frankly, just doesn't work. 
I'm not making fun. It just doesn't work, right? Uh, it will be a free market capitalist system. And before you go, hey, Paul, why are you saying capitalist system is part of what the, the Antichrist uses? I, I'm not saying it's a good system. I'm just saying it's a godless system, what he uses. But look at this. It, repre it references sexual immorality. Now, let's be specific. There will be massive sexual sin, just like there is now that is coming, um, but in this economic system. So yes, it's talking about sexual sin, but it's talking about something else here too. It's using sexual immorality to represent how the Antichrist has gotten the power of the world to follow him, both the kings and the merchants. How? Money. You always follow the money, right? It's how it, he's promised all this stuff in this seven years. In other words, when you don't follow God, the rightful, true God, and you follow a false God like the Antichrist, you are being an adulterer spiritually. That's what it's talking about also. Like a husband that has left his wife for the new young secretary at his work. That illustration is what's here. Now, get this picture. The massive, bright angel is telling us Babylon, the city, the power, the economic system has fallen. And he's pointed out their sin. In other words, he's saying they're guilty. They're guilty. What you're seeing here is a court of law. You're seeing justice. So then there's another voice that comes in in verse 4. You know how I know that? Because I am greatly learned. No, look at, look at verse 4. Then I heard another voice. Ha ha! Paul's figured out stuff. Then I heard another voice from heaven. Come out of her. Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues. For her sins are piled up to heaven and God has remembered her crimes. Who is this talking? This is, well, it's God, but it's more than just God the Father. This is the voice of Jesus. This is the voice of Jesus. Then I heard another voice from heaven, come out of her, my people. So that you will not be, you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven. And God, talking about the Father, has remembered her crimes. This is the voice of Jesus. It is the last warning to God's elect that's saying, Get out of town. Those that have become Christ followers that are in the city still are told to leave because it's fallen. The voice. The voice is Jesus, make no mistake. He doesn't want his people to suffer the punishment of this godless city. Now, if you know the Bible a little bit, you know the uh, kind of picture of Sodom and Gomorrah being uh, destroyed. There was a guy named Lot and his family, and the angel said, hey, I'm going to destroy this. you got to get out. This is Abraham's uh, nephew, and he says, get out. Same idea here. Now, pause for just a second with me. I don't want you to miss this. The book of Revelation is showing us behind the scenes. We are seeing an angel and we're hearing his voice. We're seeing Jesus talk or hearing Jesus talk. But let me just make something real clear. Real people are dying in these verses. Real destruction, real buildings are collapsing here. A real city is being destroyed. Real clouds of smoke are billowing here. 
So just that you're seen behind the scenes. Don't let, don't let that kind of dull your senses like, oh, a city's done. No, no, no. No, people are dying here. What I want you to see is that justice is being carried out. This is the future, and I might add, you will see this if you are a believer from heaven. Like every time you have ever longed for justice, you have longed for this day. And here it is. This is the start of justice. Now look at this last part here. For her sins are piled up to heaven. What is that talking about? It's a clear reference back to the Tower of Babel, right? When they built the tower. This is the picture where it's saying, look, God has had all he can stand. It's like Pi Pi, right? I've had all I can stand and I can't stand no more, right? That was older voices in the crowd. That was not any young... So what does God do? He issues the order. In other words, you've seen the courtroom setting. You've seen the evidence presented. It's everything. It's going, get out of town. It's coming. So God issues the order. This is God the Father issuing the order. Verse 6, pay her back the way she also paid and double it according to her works in the cup in which she mixed a mix mix a double portion for her as much as she glorified herself and indulged her sensual and excessive ways. Give her that much torment and grief. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen. I am not a widow. I will never see grief. She, Babylon, the city, the economic system, the worldwide power base of the Antichrist does not see it coming. She's saying, I'm innocent. But God says, pay her back and use the measure that she used uh, in her vengeance on the believers, right? And by the way, make it a double. Make it a double. Now look at verse 8. For this reason, her plagues will come in just one day, death and grief and famine. She will be burned up with fire because the Lord God who judges her is mighty. Two things here. One, what is the reason for her judgments to come in one day? Because she indulges in sensual and excessive ways and that she has uh, killed the saints. The blood is in her. And second thing, we don't know if this means an actual 24-hour period a day. Maybe it's a little longer than that. Um, The bigger picture is that I want you to see God's vengeance, His justice is quick, and violent, violent. And what are the plagues? Death, grief. So not everyone is dead, because you can't have grief if everyone's dead. But even they that survive face extreme famine, no food, no water, but the real grief and sadness come about the sudden destruction of this city, this economic system, and the rest of the world looks on. Let's look at this. The kings, verse 9, the kings of the earth who have committed sexual immorality and shared her sensual and excessive ways will weep and mourn over her when they see the smoke from her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment, saying, Whoa, whoa, the great city Babylon, the mighty city, for in a single hour your judgment has come. They realize this is judgment from God. Remember the kings of the earth, of the political leaders, governmental leaders? 
leaders, and they, they are horrified, but they also don't want to get close, do they? They're like going, uh, I'm going to mourn, but from back here, right? I'm going to mourn, but I don't want to share in this judgment. Now, uh, it's destroyed. They have believed in a concept of the Antichrist and its worldwide economic system, but now it's just a burning heap and they can just weep. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was humbled to get to visit the 9-11 uh, Museum at uh, Ground Zero in Manhattan. The museum is in the basement of where the two former World Trade Center towers stood. I'd been there uh, way back, uh, way back, like uh, during the Reagan administration last time. And um, there are two fountains on the top that are also holes. But if you go down the museum, you go underneath, it's all this stuff. Um, I love museums. I love history. And, as I walked through, uh, you should go, you should go. Um, there was like a, the window from a plane, you know, like the whole, the, the fuselage there. Uh, there were wallets of people on the plane and in the building there were shoes. Shoes are so personal, aren't they? There were eyeglasses. Um, there were videos. There were all just all this stuff. There was a severed fire engine, boom, cut in half. Um, I didn't expect it, but... Tears began to roll down my face as I remember that. I remember the sadness and the tears of that day. Do you remember that 18 years ago? I mean, I know some of you that you were like kids when that, that happened. So you don't really remember. You remember talking about it. But for you that were adults, do you remember standing back and looking at that? And listen, I wasn't even there. I wasn't even there. I saw it on the TV. And I saw it on the internet. And yes, we had internet back then. Do you remember the sadness? Raise your hand. Just that feeling, that sick, like you go, oh, crud. That's what these people are feeling for their destruction of their city. I'm not saying our, ours is bad. I'm not saying, I'm just saying we saw it on TV and, and we still wept on that day. In the future, God is telling us justice will come to the earth. The whole world will see the destruction of the great city of Babylon the economic system that it represents, and they'll know what it means to us. They will cry a tear. They will tear their clothes. But God is saying this is judgment. This is justice. Look at verse 11. The merchants of the earth will weep. Why will they weep? Well, it'll tell us, but they're losing money. Watch. And mourn over her because no one buys their cargo any longer. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, and scarlet, all kinds of fragrant wood products, objects of ivory, objects ex of expensive wood, brass, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, and incense, myrrh, and frankincense, wine, olive oil, fine flour, and grain, cattle, and sheep, and horses, and carriages. Check this out. Slaves, human lives. Write this down. The 28 items are the foundation of the end-time economic system. Of course, these merchants cry. God just hit them where it hurts in the wallet, right? God is delivering justice. He's saying, you worship, you, you worship the created stuff instead of me. You tried to tell people that happiness could be found in stuff. And it was a lie, so I am taking it away. You tried to tell people uh, that it could be found in possessions. This list um, of materials, I find it um, interesting here. 
uh, that people have bought and sold. Uh, they have schemed and become enslaved throughout history for a chance at what Satan says is happiness, right? This is why this is a symbol of mankind's pursuit of extravagant wealth. There's nothing wrong with wealth in and of itself that God blesses you. But building your life on this, even though John lists these commodities, I find it fascinating that they're still the basis of our economy today. Isn't that interesting? God rubs it in, though, in verse 14. Remember, this is justice. The fruit you craved has left you all your splendid and glamorous things are gone. They will never find them again. The merchants of these things who became rich from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning, saying, Whoa, whoa, the great city dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. Justice it says if the judge is reading all these things that a convicted fellow is a felon is has done wrong, he's guilty of, and all the laws he's broken, and then reading the sentence, it will mean prison for the rest of your life. All the good things the prisoner uh, will never see again, taste. God is just kind of taunting them with it, saying, Hey, all this stuff, you'll never see it again. Then verse 17. For, a, for in a single hour, such fabulous wealth has been, was destroyed, and every shipmaster, seafarer, the sailors, and all who did business by the sea stood far off. Now look, what have we seen? Who's crying about this? The world's political leaders, the world's merchants, and now the shippers, all the people that bring the stuff. As they watched the smoke from her burning and kept crying out, who was like the great city. They threw dust on their heads and kept crying out, weeping and mourning. Whoa, whoa! The great city where all those who have ships on the sea became rich from her wealth. For in a single hour, she was destroyed. What's interesting is uh, in Scripture, when you want to prove something, you always have it witnessed by three that's like a thing. It's the city has been destroyed, has been now witnessed by three people outside of God. The kings, the merchants, the shippers. Well, everyone is crying. Everyone is weeping. The kings, leaders, people, the merchants, the shippers, everyone. Well, not everyone. Watch as the new command comes from God. The Father, verse 20. Rejoice over her. Rejoice? Yes. Rejoice over her, heaven, and you saints, apostles, and prophets, because God has pronounced on her the judgment she pronounced on you. By the way, if you are a Christian right now, this is you. God is talking to you. You are the saints. You be them. God is commanding you at this point to rejoice, to yell a cry of joy, that you were so excited that you can't help but just go, yes! To shout that Babylon, the city, the evil one, the city that represents all of sin has been judged throughout time. This is a joyous occasion. The city for seven years has been the center of the power of the Antichrist and millions of Christians have been martyred, but the city represents all the evil all the way back to Adam. 
All the way back, that first city under Nimrod. Look at those uh, commanded to rejoice. I find this interesting. Saints, that's all the believers that are in heaven at that point uh, in Christ Jesus. All the apostles, guys like Peter, John, James, Paul, they're commanded to rejoice. By the way, you'll be standing there with them. The prophets, think about this. Moses, Daniel, Elijah, John the Baptist will be shouting for joy that the city is burning. Now watch verse 21. Watch this imagery here. Then a mighty angel picked up a stone like a large millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, In this way, Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down violently and never be found again. Man, just a millstone. It's not saying it is a millstone. It's saying it's like a millstone, which is several tons thrown into the water. Every little boy knows this joy, right? Every little boy throwing a big rock into big, deep water. Just the kerplunk of this, right? This is a massive stone going in here. You go, well, that's an interesting thing. No, you need to see something here. You need to see something. The prophet Jeremiah he spent all of his uh, days in Jerusalem, a lot of them locked up, crying out to the people and to the king. He says, you need to understand that Babylon is invading and taking you out because of your sin. God had raised up this uh, evil empire Babylon uh, to come and destroy and take away Judah, destroy Jerusalem, and they would. Jeremiah's life is so sad uh, of one. He was faithful until the end. And, but... What's interesting is God says, hey, Jeremiah, I want you to write on a piece of paper, on a scroll, and I want you to write the judgment of Babylon. I want you to write it in detail and then have it sent to Babylon with the exiles. And then I want you to do something with it. Watch this. Watch this. Uh, Jeremiah 51. This will blow your mind. When, verse 63. When you have finished reading the scroll, meaning in downtown Babylon... Tie a stone to it and throw it into the middle of the Euphrates River. You go, well, Paul, that's nice. That's really nice. Good combination here. Weave it together. No, this is where it's going to blow your mind. Look at this. Then say, in the same way, Babylon will sink and never rise again because of the disaster I am bringing on her. They will grow weary. The words of Jeremiah end here. Now, that judgment on Babylon has been carried out in our reading here. Do you get that Jeremiah is seeing this along uh, with you while it happens? He will be in heaven with you while it happens. This is your future. This is describing right here. Now look at Revelation 22, verse 22, 1822. The sound of the harpist, musician, flutist, and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No craftsman of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a mill will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. And the voice of a groom and a bride will never be heard in you again. All this will happen because you, your merchants, were the nobility of the earth, because all the nations were deceived by your sorcery, in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all those slaughtered on the earth. The sounds of daily life cease to exist in the great city. Justice has come. 
They've been paid back for their sin. And the sin of deceiving the world and killing the prophets and the saints throughout the ages. Justice has come. Well, you might imagine this sets off a massive celebration in heaven. And that celebration is about to move to earth. That's next week. But the earth, the Antichrist and his cohort will gather an army now. Unlike anything the world has ever seen. They will march on Jerusalem. They will think, I will put an end to this. They've destroyed my city. They've destroyed the earth. I will put an end to this. Do you understand the army I can bring on Jerusalem? At least that's the plan of the Antichrist. But God has another plan. Jesus is coming back. The real one. And you'll be with him if you're a believer. Let me close with a quick thought. If you're not a Christian, maybe you think this makes makes God sound like he's a monster, but here's what I want you to get. We study the Bible to find out the character of God. We don't study the Bible to give you little tidbits to get a raise at work or, or to make you feel better about yourself. We study this to find out who God is so we can have a relationship with Him. In other words, we, what He is really like, the true God. We want to know God. What we have seen here today is that judgment is coming. God will deliver justice pure to the fullest extent. Payday, baby. Wrongs made right. And you, you're right. It's horrible. But contrast that with what we know about God in Scripture that we closed with last week, John 3.16. That same God Jesus described, for God loved the world in this way. He gave His one and only Son that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Baby, if you go to hell, you go row in your own boat. God demands justice but offers to pay the price of justice. He pays it Himself because He loves us. If you are in Christ, you deserve justice, but you get mercy because of the love, the love of the Father, not because you did anything Let me leave you with this verse. Hebrews 9, 28. So also, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for Him. Are you waiting for Jesus? Are you waiting for Jesus? His words... In this book, it says, I am coming soon. Let's pray. God, as we read and we think and we pray about these words, they come alive to us off the page. God, let that, the urgency, sink deep into our hearts. Let the character of you, God, shape and mold us. God, we don't seek to change you. We ask that you change us. God, you you deserve justice. We are guilty. 
but we say thank you for offering your son, Jesus. You've given us mercy, God, when we did not deserve it. You chose us before we ever even knew who you were. God, may the, the terrible pictures of a burning city in people's lives drive us to share the hope and the love that you have provided through your son and his death on the cross. God, I'm just sorry. I'm sorry that I've been timid about sharing my faith because I was worried what people would think of me. I thought, this is just not the right time. I'm just sorry, God. God, as, as a church family, would you give us your passion for sharing your gospel, that you would share the love that, that God wants to offer to the world, the mercy that he wants to bring to the world. Would you make that urgency in our heart, God? And as you pray, let me just tell you that God is offering this to you. If you are a Christian, if you are a Christian but not really, or if you're not a Christian, he is offering this. He says you just, to follow him, declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And believe in the core, the center of who you are, that he is God's son that Jesus is God's son and that God raised him from the dead. If you do those things, if you believe and you say you confess, you will be saved. Your sins are forgiven. The righteousness of Jesus has been credited to you. Will you do that? Pray those things. Talk to God. Say, God, would you forgive me? I, I didn't know that, that you had offered your son. Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. Just pray that. Pray that I, I'm sorry for my sins in the past, but, but I want to follow you now. Give me the urgency, God, to turn my life over to you. And listen, if you've prayed that, you are a believer. Your sins have been washed away. So end your prayer like this. Just pray and say, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for paying the price of justice for me. I love you, Jesus. It is in your name I pray. Amen.
sink, sink deep into our hearts. Let the character of you, God, shape and mold us. God, we don't seek to change you. We ask that you change us. God, you, you deserve justice. We are guilty. But we say thank you for offering your son, Jesus. You've given us mercy, God, when we did not deserve it. You chose us before we ever even knew who you were. God, may the, the terrible pictures of a burning city in people's lives drive us to share the hope and the love that you have provided through your son and his death on the cross. God, I'm just sorry. I'm sorry that I've been timid about sharing my faith because I was worried what people would think of me. I thought, this is just not the right time. I'm just sorry, God. God, as, as a church family, would you give us your passion for sharing your gospel, that you would share the love that, that God wants to offer to the world, the mercy that he wants to bring to the world. Would you make that urgency in our heart, God? And as you pray, let me just tell you that God is offering this to you. If you are a Christian, if you are a Christian but not really, or if you're not a Christian, he is offering this. He says you just, to follow him, declare with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And believe in the core, the center of who you are, that he is God's son. That Jesus is God's son and that God raised him from the dead. If you do those things, if you believe and you say you confess, you will be saved. Your sins are forgiven. The righteousness of Jesus has been credited to you. Will you do that? Pray those things. Talk to God. Say, God, would you forgive me? I, I didn't know that, that you had offered your son. Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. Just pray that. Pray that I, I'm sorry for my sins in the past, but, but I want to follow you now. Give me the urgency, God, to turn my life over to you. And listen, if you've prayed that, you are a believer. Your sins have been washed away. So end your prayer like this. Just pray and say, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for paying the price of justice for me. I love you, Jesus. It is in your name I pray. Amen.